Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning's sermon text from the epistle reading to the Hebrews, the fourth chapter, where it's written, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day after this. And so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same disobedience. So far, our text, dear friends in Christ Jesus. In considering this text, it's key to remember that this epistle to the Hebrews was written to Hebrews. The posterity of Abraham and of Moses, of the Exodus. And so you see the terminology of our text, the phrases, citations, concepts, those that you heard like Sabbath, like entering rest, like the seventh day, those like Joshua, Joshua delivering the promised rest, all of these were as naturally part of the fabric of their Hebrew heritage as our phrases like life, liberty, and happiness, Ellis Island, Independence Hall, and George Washington are to us and, and to our, the fabric of our American culture. The terms in our text were as loaded with meaning to them as the words red, white, and blue are for most most of us. Now, of all the loaded words of Hebrew heritage in today's text, it's the Sabbath that stands out above them all. And so let's recall for a moment just what the Sabbath meant, just what the Sabbath was to this Hebrew people. The Sabbath... It was a day set apart from all other days of the week. Why? Well, for one, because in the beginning, God, in foreshadowing a rest that would come, God finished all his creative work in six days and caused himself to rest from all creative activity on the seventh. And so hence you have the Sabbath. Shabbat in the Hebrew, it means simply to rest. Centuries later from Mount Sinai, God himself gave that very reason I just laid out to you. He gave that very reason as to why now he insisted that this seventh day, this Sabbath day, be remembered and kept holy and distinct by this people he was keeping holy and distinct. But the Sabbath served another purpose too. This day of divinely insisted rest instituted just a couple, three months after his people left Egypt. This Sabbath instituted by God would prove also to be a week of daily, rather, it would be a weekly day of refreshment for what would quickly become a wilderness-wearied people. So the Lord had fixed for them a day in the week on which they weren't to work. They weren't to gather, they weren't to make, they weren't to mend, They were to rest, rest, the Sabbath day, the day when the work and the toil is done. The Lord fixed a particular day in their week to remind them of a particular day that he had fixed in their future. When they would at long last enter into the land of God's rest that he had promised to them well before their backbreaking days in Egypt. And so you see every week come the seventh day. By the seventh day, God would remind them of the rest to come by the very rest they took. 
a foretaste, if you will, of the rest to come. The Sabbath rest was important. By it, God's people were reminded where they were going, and in it, they were to be reminded from where they'd come. Perhaps you remember that also of the Sabbath day, when God was reviewing in Deuteronomy these Ten Commandments before he brought them, and there they were on the verge of entering into the Promised Land. Remember what he said then of the Sabbath? He said, and remember... Remember from where you'd come, he said, and remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day, it says, tying the Sabbath day to remembrance of where they'd come, why they weren't there anymore. An event indeed of deliverance, an event to be remembered The singular reason they enjoyed that day of rest, in that future greater day of rest to come. After all, it wasn't by their hand that they were freed from the slavish condition into which they were born. You could even say into which they were conceived. It wasn't by their hand. It was by the blood of a pure lamb slaughtered. And that blood applied to them in their dwellings. It was by the victory of that lamb that they were led from captivity with all, with all the spoils of their captors. It was because the Lord made an impossible situation possible. When at the Red Sea, he opened through, through the walls of baptismal water, he opened for them a way to walk into newness of life. Thereafter being freed from their past. And this rest they now enjoyed, this greater rest that they they would enjoy, was because the Lord then didn't leave them to find their own way, but no, he, He guided them by day, He guarded them by night, because He fed them with bread from heaven, sustaining them, maintaining them, upholding them ever onward toward the land of God's rest that He Himself had prepared for them and had waiting for them with a weekly foretaste of the rest to come and a weekly reminder of where they'd been, it's astounding to think that any would harden his heart toward this Lord who had done so much for them and was doing so much for them yet. But hearts grow hard. They did then. Do you remember last week's epistle reading, which came right before the reading we have today? Remember what it, was, what it said? The writer said, For who having heard, speaking of the people of old, for who having heard this good news of deliverance, for who having been reminded of where they'd been and where they were going, for who, it says, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt? Led by Moses, remember what it said last week? With whom was God angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses, it says, fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey, for they could not enter because of their unbelief? Astounding. Astonishing. Despite where they'd been, Despite where they now were because of their Lord, despite where they would be, astounding that they they would harden their hearts 
and that hearts would grow hard. Equally astounding, even more so, is that the hearts of his people still do. And yet, how could that be? For friends, consider where we had been. Scripture tells us plainly, your born condition, you want to know? Scripture tells you as good as dead in sin. Scripture says, a slave to sin, confined under sin, condemned under the law, Scripture says. It says, entangled in the yoke of bondage. It says, under him, Scripture says, who had the power of death, even the devil. That, Scripture says, is man's natural-born condition. Sounds an awful lot like Egyptian captivity, is it not? Except eternally worse. It's where we'd been. But, as our epistle lesson says, good news came to us as it did to them. And so a particular time of your week has been appointed that you can hear again and again and be reminded about an event never ever to be forgotten, but a singular event to be recalled throughout our generations and to be taught diligently to our children and our children's children, the event in which you were, Scripture says, redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb, it says, the lamb, without blemish or spot. He was in that event slain on the sacrificial altar of Calvary so that eternal death would pass over you. His blood applied to you saves. He led you out of sin's captivity. An impossible situation for you made possible by him. He led you out through miracle waters that drown all your sins and all the devil's accusations that would pursue you so that you can forget what lies in your past, what lies behind, and you can press on now to what lies ahead. He sustains you on your way by the higher sacramental bread from heaven. He's appointed a fixed day for you in your future when you'll be brought across your life's River Jordan and into the promised eternal rest from all of your life's labors that he has waiting for you. You see, there is, there is a higher Sabbath rest for God's people that remains. For if Joshua, it says, had given the final rest to God's people of old, God wouldn't have spoken of a rest to come, but he did. And it's yours, and it's in your future. Consider where you'd been. Consider where, because of Christ Jesus, you are, and where, because of him, you will be and are going. And it's astounding that as of old, hearts would harden toward this Lord. But they do. In his people today, we harden our hearts toward him for the very same reasons that his people of old did. Why? Because we grow tired of the manna. Just like we heard a couple weeks ago in the Old Testament reading, we grow tired of the manna. We grumble about our daily bread. Familiarity with it breeds contempt in us of it. And then we long for the flesh pots of our former life. We grow discouraged by life circumstances, forgetting that the suffering of this present time is not worth comparing to the joy that's waiting for us. Hearts harden. 
As his people of old, we're drawn by life's golden calves all around us, sometimes with the very best of intentions on our part. Perhaps it's the potential for and the determination to achieve upward economic mobility, especially in this current economic climate. Spending the extra time doing that, and yet like the rich young man, after we see a a bit of profit in this endeavor, we begin to set our hopes and our hearts on the things, the material things we've been given, instead of the one who gives them. Or perhaps it's dedication to house, and household, brother, sister, mother, father, children, and with weekend time off being so short as it is, and intentions yet so good, perhaps time together gathered here with God's people, receiving with them God's gifts, perhaps it's too frequently sacrificed for other well-intended family time that might otherwise, as we see it, be lost. Perhaps it's to keep the peace between father and mother and sons and daughters and spouses, that we're inclined to receive God's gifts far more infrequently than we otherwise would, so we can keep, as we see it, the peace. You see, even well-intending motives have unintended but calcifying consequences on the hearts of believers, drawing our devotion, drawing us, away from him who's able certainly to repay a hundredfold of all that we would have to to give up because of him. Friend, let Scripture's warning to you today not go unheeded. For Scripture says to you, today as you in faith Enabled in faith to hear his voice. Today it says as you hear his voice. And the good news it announces. Do not harden your hearts. Scripture says. For as he once said of his people who did. They shall not enter my rest. Now it would be natural for us like the rich young ruler. That you heard of last week, it would be natural for us here to wonder, well then what must I do to inherit? What must I do to maintain this eternal rest? What must I do to keep my heart from hardening? Of yourselves, you can do nothing. Then, like the, the, the disciples in today's gospel, then we ask, okay Lord, then who then can be saved? With man of himself? It is impossible, but not with God, not with God. He will complete, he will finish your faith in the very same way he authored it, by drawing your gaze and fixing your eyes on Jesus, high and lifted up on a pole. He'll continue to draw you to where the living God now tabernacles in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And so come to where he draws you. Come lest we forget. Come to where Christ Jesus by the living voice of his word. Come to where he reminds you and me of that singular saving event, the very reason we have a Sabbath rest. Come lest we despair.
Come to where Christ Jesus releases you of all of your sin's debt and all of your sin's obligation by a sabbatical absolution as valid in heaven as it is on earth. Come, lest we, our own posterity, neglect. Come to where through cleansing baptismal water God sprinkles us clean. So that as he says through his prophet, prophet I, will, I will take that, that hard heart of stone and in its place I'll give you a new heart, a clean heart, so that you shall be my people and I will be your God. Come, lest we grow famished on the way. Come to where Christ Jesus himself comes down to strengthen his dear people. With a living bread Moses never could have imagined. The flesh and blood of the Son of God The currency of your salvation, food for you. A food that will, I promise you, because he promises you, a food that will keep you in the faith until you cross your Jordan and enter into God's rest. In other words, friends, he says, come unto me. All of you who are wearied by the way and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's the Sabbath. He dissolved, in fact, he replaced the Sabbath of old because ultimately it's in him that you have your rest. For recall it, recall it with his dying words before resting himself in the tomb on the Sabbath. With his dying words, he declared all saving work finished. Then he rose to declare your eternal rest one. Come unto me, he says, I'll give you your rest. I've shared this with you before, but today in closing it bears repeating. As perhaps you recall, the ancient Greeks, they had a race in their Olympic Games that was rather unique. The winner was not the runner who finished first. It was the runner who finished the course with his torch still lit. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. God keep hope in our hearts lit and aflame, striving by his grace to enter that rest.